a drug used in other countries to treat depression and also anxiety, asthma, and irritable bowel syndrome has the potential for abuse and addiction. Two toxicology experts from Upstate have researched this medication and are here with me in the studio to talk about it. They are Dr. Gina Marafa and Dr. Christine Stork from the Upstate New York Poison Center. Both are doctors of pharmacy. Christine Stork is the clinical director at the Poison Center and a professor in the Department of Emergency Medicine. And Gina Marafa is the assistant clinical director at the Poison Center, and she's an associate professor in the Department of Emergency Medicine. Welcome, and thank you both for being here. Appreciate it. Now, I know the Poison Center works closely with the emergency department. Can you tell us what types of calls you handle at the Poison Center? Um, sure. Dr. Stork? So the Upstate New York Poison Center handles callers um, f- from the public and from healthcare professionals in 54 counties of Upstate New York. So everything north of Westchester fits within the catchment area. And within that, we have over 100 hospitals who call the Poison Center routinely for advice or to report cases. Um, of those, about 40% of our call volume is from healthcare professionals at this point in time. And it's, uh, is it all like medication overdoses or what, what types of um, cases do you handle on a kind of a regular basis? So there's a variety of cases. Um, this, the types of things that we get called about include, it could be di- as diverse as, yes, medications, people unintentionally having side effects to medications, people attempting to harm themselves by taking large doses of their medications or someone else's medications, people exposed to gases in fires or in the workplace or even in their home. Um, there is quite a variety of what is considered a poisoning and the types of things that we would get involved in, in in the healthcare caller setting. And so you or one of your colleagues is always available to be a resource to, it sounds like, all of the state outside of New York City, right? Yeah, so um, the Poison Center, the people who pick up the phone, they're certified specialists in poison information at our center. They're nurses and pharmacists. And in the more difficult cases, there's a series of clinical and medical toxicologists who are available 24-7 to provide even more expert um, advice and help in taking care of the more difficult cases. Okay, interesting. Well, tell us about this drug that I alluded to, um, tianaptine, is that right, Dr. Marafa? Yeah, so tianaptine, or uh, people say it in in different ways, um, is a drug that is available in other countries as a pharmaceutical or a um, more, considered more of a prescription drug in other countries. It's an unapproved drug in this country and is not available as a pharmaceutical in the United States. Um, But what we've seen is that people have been using this drug in the United States because it has effects very similar to opioids or narcotics or things like hydrocodone or oxycodone. So in the recent year or two, we've seen an increased number of people that are using tianaptine for the opioid or narcotic effects that it can cause. I'm going to go ahead and spell it just for listeners, T-I-A-N-E-P-T-I-N-E. Yes. So if it's 
it's unapproved here. Has it gone to the FDA and the FDA declined it or has it just not gone to the FDA? I do not believe that it has ever gone through any studies in the United States. Um, and, and I do not believe that it's ever gone to as far as to even reach the FDA for approval status. Again, it's been available in several countries in other parts of the world as a pharmaceutical, probably as more most commonly used for antidepressant effects, um, but for this in this country, it is not um, it is not something that's undergoing any clinical trials, um, at least that I'm aware of at this point, and has not gone to the FDA at this point that I'm aware of. But in other countries, there are doctors, I assume, that are writing prescriptions for this, correct? And are giving it for legitimate reasons correct. to people, correct? So, how are people here able to get their hands on it? Do they? have to have a doctor in another country or how does that work? Well, largely with this product, at least what we've been seeing in the last year or two from calls to the poison center, um, is that a lot of people are trying to access this drug in alternative ways, such as the internet um, and non, you know, they're not going to a doctor in another country to get this medicine. They're getting it largely over the internet um, because, again, because of its potential to have those opioid or narcotic effects. So you can just order it and it'll come to your house in a package? Unfortunately, yes. Wow. All right. Um, How expensive is it? Is it hard? Is it uh, difficult to obtain because of money or? Well, I... I actually don't exactly know how much it costs, um, but it is, um, I don't think that it's that expensive, um, and it's not, from what we understand, um, it's not a very difficult item to obtain once, once someone's on the internet with the, with the correct resources. Now, you um, put together a, a paper, a research, that's published in a research journal about this. What, what did you look at? We did. So, um, the Upstate New York Poison Center, along with um, our colleagues down at the New York City Poison Center, um, Drs. Hoffman and Sue, as well as Dr. Stork, we looked at poison center data across New York State of exposure calls to tyaneptine over the past several years. We initially looked at it from 2000 just to look to see an increase um, to see when we first identified cases. Um, and we pulled together our cases and then essentially provided what we're seeing at, at the Poison Center. Again, this is probably a significant underrepresentation of the true number of cases or people that are using tyaneptine um, in this country to for its opioid properties. Um, but at least calls to the Poison Center, and, and what we found was that we've had nine cases of calls to the Poison Center secondary to tyaneptine exposure. And the combination of those cases have been people who have become sick from toxicity, from acute overdose, um, as well as withdrawal from this medication. So it also can cause withdrawal very similar to what we talk about with other narcotics or opioid withdrawal. Um, And so we put this together to look to see what presenting symptoms patients had, what what they required as far as in in medical treatment, um, and recently published this back in um, 2018. So very current. Um, and you made the point, it, it's probably an underrepresentation because you're only looking at the, the calls that came to the poison center. There could be a lot of other cases of overdose or misuse that you don't know about, right? Right, that's correct. Calls to poison centers are, again, they're voluntary calls. So it requires either a 
person in the public or a healthcare professional to pick up the call and call the poison center. Um, and with a lot of scenarios, we know that the number of calls to poison centers is significantly underestimated or underreported. Um, so what we so again we we're using voluntary calls to the poison center to describe our data. Um, but with that, there's probably a lot of people that are using Tyanoptine that we don't know about. Um, and even probably for, even from healthcare professionals, this is a relatively new product and they may not they may not even know that it exists and people may not even be reporting this if they're going to their doctor or their to the emergency department with symptoms. It may, they, they may never say that they use Tyanoptine. How does it compare with other opioid prescriptions in terms of um, pain relief? Well, so, so that's, I think, a little bit interesting. Um, as far as, I mean, we know that it has very similar properties and it works as an opioid just like other opioids. Um, I'm not aware of any studies comparing tyanoptine to other narcotics that we know of. Um, perhaps maybe there are some of those studies in other parts of the world. Um, but, you know, I think that we know that it causes the exact same effect so people can become very sleepy, people can become, um, have problems with their brain breathing or have respiratory depression. Um, so it's, they're very, very similar in that effect. Um, as far as how well it works for pain, I think that that's probably a subjective finding that I'm not sure that there's any data to compare the two. In terms of toxicity, is it just as dangerous as other opioids or more so? I would say just as dangerous. It all depends on the dose, but just as dangerous. And then um, I know that we have narco, Narcan or Naloxone in our community. Does that drug, Narcan, reverse the effects of TNFTine? So that's a very interesting question, I think. Um, and we looked at that data to see if... Um, if the patients that were called into the poison center, if they received naloxone and if it had any benefit. Um, I think that there have been cases of people who have tyanoptine toxicity responding to naloxone and those that have not responded to naloxone also. And I think that's largely just because of the dose of naloxone that sometimes people require depending on their exposure. So um, if someone is not breathing and or having respiratory depression or difficulty breathing and they have signs consistent with narcotic overdose or opioid overdose, we would still suggest giving naloxone if someone has naloxone and doing all of the other things that we do for someone who looks like they're having symptoms of opioid poisoning. You're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, and I'm talking with Drs. Gina Marafa and Christine Stork from the Upstate New York Poison Center. Um, I, I wanted to see if we can talk about other products that are being used as opioid alternatives that people need to be concerned about. Um, what other legal drugs are being misused in our community? So Dr. another, Stork? yeah, so another... Um, drug that's kind of coming to the forefront and becoming more popular is this drug uh, Kratom, or Kratom, depending upon how you want to pronounce it. It's um, mostly available via the internet as well, and we're seeing more and more use of this product. It's not regulated in any way, sense, or form, so it's um, easily obtainable. Is it uh, a prescription drug in other countries as well, or? I do not believe so. Oh, okay. So unregulated, it, illegal then, 
It's not illegal. Oh, it's not illegal. It's not illegal. I, I believe several years ago, uh, people attempted to regulate this product, um, and it was slated to be regulated, and there was a large public outcry for it not to be regulated, and it has since been not regulated. So what do people who are taking this drug, what are they hoping to achieve with it? Again, it has very similar properties. So it has opioid-like properties. So either to obtain opioid-like effects or narcotic effects, or to stem withdrawal symptoms from other opioids. Okay, wow. Is it a pill or a capsule or what tablet or something that you just take by mouth? Yeah, I think you can find it in a variety of forms, but yes. Right. Now, I know recently there had been an issue with um, the anti-diarrheal drug Imodium or Loperamide being misused. Is that still something that people are reaching for? It is. So Loperamide abuse has been increasing um, over the past several years, um, and patients are using Loperamide both as an opioid substitute or very similar to what Dr. Stork just referred to as treating their withdrawal symptoms from other opioids. Um, we've seen a significant increase in the number of Loperamide abuse and misuse cases in this country um, over the past several years. Um, and it, in addition to the opioid effects of Loperamide that people are abusing it for, it now is a, it's readily identified and causes severe cardiac toxicity or problems with people's um, heart rhythm and has even been implicated in several deaths in this country um, in the past several years. So yes, still an ongoing problem. Um, there's a lot of national initiative and um, advisory panels that are trying to increase education about loperamide abuse, um, as well as collaboration amongst many different, um, many different groups and industry to try to um, minimize the access of loperamide. So these are people that are reaching for these drugs they can get their hands on in a variety of ways, it sounds like, to take care of a problem, but they're adding all of this, these other potential problems or risks and that are dangerous, it sounds like. It, it so. sure is. And I think when it, loperamide was first talked about in, in the public, um, it was largely talked about, for, one, to be able to have to get high from it, but also to treat the withdrawal and the heart problems that it has since been identified um, now with people using significantly high doses was never was never appreciated or recognized before because at therapeutic doses, loperamide is very safe, it's very effective, and it doesn't cause heart problems. Um, so these new heart problems that we're seeing is only being recognized because of it being used in excessive doses. Oh. Now what about synthetic marijuana? Is that um, still a problem? We're still um, seeing a large amount of synthetic marijuana in our community. Our healthcare professionals have gotten much better at managing this problem and they've seen it so frequently that as the poison center, we have not been called quite as frequently as we were during the initiation of the large outbreak of synthetic um, marijuana products. That's due to education of the providers to recognize and Yeah, I mean, there's treat. been a large amount of education out there, you know, a lot large amount as well of be having seen many of these cases now over 
several years, this has been going on for at least two, three years now, that the healthcare professionals have kind of accustomed to treating patients who are coming in with synthetic marijuana problems. It's still out there. People are still using synthetic, synthetic marijuana products. The demographics changed a little, that initially it was um, a... Um, a, a non-illegal substance that people would go out and use to um, kind of get get out of their drug screen issues. And now, um, because of the dangers identified and, and the education to the public, the demographic has switched a little bit to the more lower socioeconomic groups due to the low cost, I believe, affiliated with that. So that's yeah. changed to some extent, but it's still there. It's, it's still, still out an there. issue. So we have legalized marijuana with a prescription. There are certain prescribers in, in New York State that write prescriptions for people to take marijuana legally to treat medical issues. Is that going to change or have an impact on uh, the synthetic marijuana and other you know, it's very products? hard to tell what exactly will occur in New York State, but we can look towards other states that they would have legalized medical marijuana, um, as well as fully legalized recreational, recreational use of marijuana. And I believe the the biggest impact seen in those states has been with the edible products, and in particular in children and pediatric exposures to marijuana products. If you leave the edibles around and a, a child gets a hold of them. Yeah, you know, many times these things come as gummies or candy bars and other items that would be seen as desirable to a small child. So there has been a large uptick in um, legalized marijuana products that are edibles in that patient population. My guests have been Drs. Gina Marafa and Christine Stork from the Upstate New York Poison Center. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show, HealthLink on Air.